0: Good morning, welcome to Dad DadFest, I'm glad you're here. Um, some of the best dads I know are in this room. I see you dads digging in, taking your dadship seriously. I see, um, this is kind of a trend, I see granddads stepping up into the role of fatherhood, being an example to your uh, grandkids. This generation gets to be the beneficiaries of the investment you're making. You know, men bequeath manhood, on to the next generation. Now, women are amazing, and women can do a lot of amazing things, but a woman can't teach a man how to be a man. That's a man's job. So we need men in our lives to show us what real manhood is. And so today I want to address the issue of rudeness. And the topic is that love is not rude. We're in a series in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about what love is not, and we work our way now to love is not rude. So let me try to explain. Being rude is being disrespectful. Being rude is being impolite. Literally, the scripture says, love is, does not act unbecomingly. Love does not act inappropriately. So if I'm loving, I am appropriate to the situation. Right? Love teaches good manners. Manners like, please, or more please, or thank you. Words like, I'm sorry, right? If there's an an expulsion, excuse me. Um, Love holds the door open, right? You see little guys, you know, there's a big pack of people coming through the door, and the little guy holds the door open. And we say, you're quite the little gentleman. It's just being polite, being courteous, right? See, we can practice these good manners at a restaurant, being so very kind to our server, and then the people at our table or in our car, in our home, to be rude to. And the reason we want to avoid being rude is when a person is treated rudely, they always feel devalued. So, this morning we step into love is not rude. Now, if you've been following along in our series, it might be helpful to go back a little bit in some of our previous topics. We said that love is not selfish, right? Rudeness is an epidemic in America. We have lost our civility, we have lost our politeness, and we have lost our manners. I mean, we are now in a presidential campaign. Can you even imagine a presidential campaign where the candidates spoke well of each other? Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine a soccer match where the players were respectful to the official? I'm gonna date myself now, okay? When I was growing up, playing basketball, and I committed a foul, I was to raise my hand. It was sort of an admission of guilt and respect for the official. I'm raising my... Who's seen an NBA game where a player has raised their hand because they fouled somebody? So, um, there was this baseball game. I know some of you guys are into baseball. So there's this baseball game, and uh, the, the guy slides into home base, right? And so, um, he kind of delays making the call. And, you know, half the crowd's saying, he's safe, he's safe. The other half the crowd said, he's out, he's out. So the parents are yelling, he's safe, he's out, he's safe, he's out. And the umpire went, stop. He's nothing till I call it. Now, what the umpire was asserting was authority, right? He had authority to make the call. Now, God has made the call about what love is. And God has said that love is not rude. Love is not irritable, easily angered, cranky, cantankerous, moody. So what's making you snappy these days? What's making you irritable? Is it when the house isn't picked up and people are coming over? How about this one? Uh, dinner is not quite made yet, right? And no one's helping. So there can become this rudeness in a household. So what happens is us, to us is we tend to make a list of rude comments that have been made to us. We keep score of people's rudeness, right? We keep a running track of how rude people, the insults they have made, and keep a ledger of these inappropriate comments. Oftentimes in households, there's this awkward silence, kind of a distance because of rudeness. So what is love? What is love? Love is a decision. It's a decision we make with our minds to believe the best about somebody, to say the best of somebody. It's choosing not to be rude. It's choosing not to return fire. It's choosing not to retaliate. We've heard all week about what happened down in Orlando, Florida. We heard about an ex-Marine who brought people to safety in the midst of that chaos in that club called The Pulse. The shooter said this was about avenging all the innocent women and children killed in Afghanistan. In his deranged state, he was getting even. His parents were from Afghanistan and himself was a Muslim. He was killing people because of retaliation. Martin Luther King said that violence is the language of the inarticulate. But violence is becoming the language of this land. There seems to be the language of the extremists, the language of the radicalized. But Jesus Christ came to teach us a more radical thing than hate. He came to teach us love. And love is stronger than hate. And it's easy to hate the Muslims or to group them all into one category as being extremists. But Jesus wants to teach us how to love them because love is a decision, is expressed through our will in the best interest of somebody else that usually results in affection. Now, to contrast rudeness, I want to talk about respect. To have respect for somebody is to put high value on them, to put um, a high price on something. So rudeness and respect are the opposites. The vast majority of the dads who are here are called to give something to their sons and daughters which they did not receive themselves. You see, according to the Bible, what happens is that one generation receives the baton. This is my banana. One, re- one generation receives the baton, and, the, the, and we pass on the baton to the next generation. So the next generation receives from us what we have poured into them. It's easy to pour into your kids that which you received. I received from my father a very strong work, work ethic, And so I passed that on to my children. My father gave me great freedom to be able to travel. And my daughter Betsy, when she was 15, traveled to Madrid for a whole summer. And uh, just before she left to go to Madrid for six weeks, she said, Dad, would you mind watching me go out to the car? I have something to get from the car. I said, Betsy, why do you want me to watch? She says, I'm a little afraid of the dark. I said, darling, tomorrow you're going to travel 3,700 miles to Madrid, Spain. She said, but you're my dad, and I need you to watch me right now. So my dad gave me great freedom, and we gave freedom to our daughter and to our sons. My son Jimmy went to Beijing when he was 16. But here's what I find to be true. Some of us were raised by dads who did not spend much time with us. Fathers who did not nurture us. Fathers who never said, I love you. Fathers who weren't around very much. Fathers who were angry pretty much all the time. Fathers who drank too much. So what happens is when we try to pass on the baton, we pass on a broken baton to our children. You see, every generation can become cleansed and washed. Every generation can pass on wholeness they find in the person of Jesus Christ and a dad has to make a decision they're not going to be passing on their broken, banana, their broken baton to the next generation. One father, I saw he was drinking a Diet Coke, and I was curious about this, and I asked him about his Diet Coke, and this is what he said. I said, why, you know, why would you drink a Diet Coke? He said, my dad systematically destroyed our family because of alcohol. I lived with that my entire life. And I made the decision when my son was born that I was going to go on the wagon. I'm not passing on my brokenness to my son. I'm not passing on a broken baton to my son. It stops with me and it stops now. The father made a decision to follow after Christ the best he knew how, and he wanted to pass on his wholeness to his son. I know a dad who teaches his kids about budgeting, you know, staying within their means, you know, saving up for the future, you know, honoring the Lord first with their finances. And I said, you know, are you like, is your dad like a CFO, a CPA? No, my dad was horrible with money. My dad was broken when it came, was broke and broken when it comes to money. But I wanted to choose a different path. I wanted my kids to have something better than I received. What I'm trying to say is that a man gets to leave his imprint upon his children. And if we are given a broken baton, automatically we'll pass on that brokenness to our children unless we make a decision to follow after Jesus Christ. You see, what a man really craves is respect. The mega need inside a man's heart is to be respected. My son, Jimmy, is a lieutenant in the United States Army. He encourages men to take a stand for a man to develop conviction. You see, if alcohol described what was handed down to him, what you want to see in the next generation is to live an alcohol-free or at least to treat alcohol with caution and respect. Many of your fathers here in this room abused alcohol, but a man can take a stand to follow after Jesus and the whole trend of the next generation be changed. A man can take a stand on fidelity saying, I will be faithful to my wife. A man can take a stand on viewing saying i'm going to make a covenant with my eyes to not lay sight upon that which is impure a man can make a stand with his speech and say by the grace of god nothing impure will come forth from my mouth you see what a man wants to be is respected and that's why it says in ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33 a wife must see to it that she respects her husband that when she speaks of her husband she speaks to him respectfully, and she speaks of him respectfully. And when she speaks about him, she speaks respectfully. She's not throwing him under the bus. She's not finding fault with him all the time. She's not trashing him to her friends, but rather she is speaking respectfully of her husband because she respects him. She looks up to him. You see, when a man feels this criticism... Oftentimes, a man will begin to shut down. He'll feel attacked, right? He'll feel on the defensive. He'll feel as if her criticism is contemptuous. And it kind of shuts down the heart of a man. A man knows that his greatest need is to be respected. Now, I mentioned Jimmy being in the United States Army. And oftentimes, Jimmy takes his men out on training exercises, So let's just say that on this day, we went for a training exercise, and I'm Jimmy now, and the the guys didn't do that great, all right? There was an exercise they were supposed to do, and they didn't do it great. And he says to the guys, okay, you guys, let me tell you about all the mistakes you just made. Let me just find fault with you. You guys were terrible today. You were horrible. You, You really screwed up that exercise. Now, anybody here who's listening would know that a man's spirit feels robbed in that situation. You feel as if somebody attacked me, right? Like they found fault with me. But imagine a man heard this who was part of the company. You know what? I believe in you. You are my man. And I promised you I would tell you the truth. So I'm about now to tell you the truth. You just screwed up. But here's what I believe in you. You have potential to be the best fighting unit in the army. And I'm going to help you over the next few weeks to get better. And week after week, we're going to make ourselves better. Well, what happen is the soldier would want to improve and get better and fulfill their potential. You see, what I'm trying to say about a man is a man needs to be respected for who he is and spoken to respectfully because love isn't rude right and when a person is rude to a man he feels so disrespected so i'm going to show you now a picture of a guy whose name is tim chambers this guy is called the saluting marine he has since 2002 stood in Washington, D.C. when the rolling thunder comes through, and he has saluted fellow soldiers and patriots. And last year, when he stood at attention, he had a broken hand. And for hours upon hours, here was this Marine standing in his dress blue, saluting those who were rolling through the city, paying respect upon them, giving them honor. You see, the crying need in a man's heart is for someone to notice and to respect them. And that's exactly what this Marine has set his heart to do, to honor those who have served, to those who have sacrificed, to those who have paid a price, to those who've come back injured, to those who did not come back, to those who are missing. He wants to honor them. See, he's the saluting Marine. John chapter 12 tells a story about Jesus Christ and honor and rudeness. Give a Bible and open up John chapter 12. It says that six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany. Bethany was this town very close to Jerusalem, it was a town where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised up from the dead. And here was a dinner that was given in Jesus' honor. You know how it is with someone sitting in the seat of honor, someone who's being honored with a dinner? You try to figure out what that person would like. So Jesus, at this dinner, is the guest of honor. And I like to believe that his host, who was Simon the leper, tried to figure out what Jesus would like for dinner. So if we're trying to honor somebody, if it's their birthday, we try to figure out the foods they'd like to eat, right? We put them in the birthday chair, right, with the birthday hat and the birthday balloon because we're honoring somebody on their birthday. So Jesus now is the guest of honor at this dinner at the house of Simon the leper, and Lazarus was also there. Lazarus was reclining on one of the couches. Now, I personally, personally believe that it'd be great if we brought back this idea of reclining at dinner and finding a nice couch to sort of lounge on. And so Lazarus is lounging on the couch, reclining at dinner. And by the way, wherever you find Lazarus, Lazarus is laying down somewhere, right? We, we, we pick up the story of Lazarus. He's sick. He's laying down. You know, His sisters are asking for help. Then Lazarus was laying down dead, and then Lazarus was laying down at dinner. He's reclining, so Lazarus is kind of chill, and he's just laying out. And so what happens at this dinner is that Mary and Martha are serving. And it says here that Martha is serving up the dinner. Now, the last time we ran into Martha, Martha was all stressed out. She was serving dinner, but she was really worried about her sister Mary, who wasn't helping, you know, Cuffs don't pour themselves, and tables don't set themselves, and dinners don't make themselves. So Martha was in the kitchen all by herself, and she was stressing out over dinner, and Mary wasn't helping her. Mary was only sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what Jesus would say. Now, wherever we find Mary, she's sitting down. Her brother Lazarus is laying down, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary's still listening to the voice of Jesus, listening to what he has to say. So Martha's serving, and into this scene comes Mary, and Mary takes a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured the perfume onto Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's a beautiful scene. So here's what happens Mary, the sister, takes the fa- family heirloom, a pint of pure nard, you know, something worth a year's wages. And you can calculate your salary over the next year, and that's the value of what she's pouring onto Jesus' feet. Her bottle is very expensive perfume and she pours the contents of the bottle onto Jesus' feet in his hands. She anoints Jesus. She lavishes her love onto Jesus. She passionately pours her love out on Jesus. And the house was filled with the fragrance. And this is a very beautiful scene to Jesus. Jesus is being loved on, There was a lot of criticism of Jesus. There was a lot of opposition to Jesus. But here in this house, Jesus was being loved on. He was being honored. Here was Simon the leper throwing a dinner for Jesus, giving to Jesus the seat of honor. And there was Mary taking her perfume, pouring it onto his feet and his head, showing the extravagance of love. And one of the disciples, whose name was Judas, Judas said, Why this waste of perfume? Why this extravagance? This could have been sold and given to the poor. What happens here is that Judas is rude, and he's offensive, and he's insulting her heart, and he's putting Mary on the defensive and questioning her judgment. Judas here is very disrespectful. So the question becomes... How will Jesus deal with rudeness in this house? What will Jesus do when there's rudeness being inflicted upon this woman? You see, when somebody is rude, they are offensive. Their rudeness can put you on the defensive. They can question your actions and judge you because they're so disrespectful. People will get into fights and the tone of the conversation will begin to shift they'll begin to lose respect for one another and pull out what i call the nuclear option and begin to um, say rude things to one another you know and it begins to explode in that setting now what happens here i want you to hear this is that though there is rudeness in this house jesus isn't rude because love isn't rude, and Jesus stands up for the woman who's encountering this rude disciple. Jesus says to him, leave her alone, that what she has done is a beautiful thing. You will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Jesus shows love to the woman. This is what I want you to hear. Though you may be in the context of rudeness, you may be driving on the roads with other rude drivers. You may be in small settings where someone is talking full volume on their cell phone, and you just don't want to hear that conversation. Or someone is saying very rude things to you. Rudeness may come at you, But rudeness doesn't have to come out of you because you are called to something better. You're called to love. And what is most true of us is that we have been deeply loved. And what is most true of a Christian is we don't return fire. We don't retaliate rudeness to others. I was downtown at Baker Park and some friends of mine were on the band show. And there was some... um, people that were trying to shout them down. And so this went on for several minutes, and I couldn't take it anymore. And I walked over to them, and I said, you need to stop. They looked at me surprised like, who are you to tell me anything? And I said, you need to stop, and here's why, because you are rude. These are my friends, and you're not going to talk like that to them or about them. You see, brothers and sisters. Love itself is not rude. So let me make some points as we bring this to a close. The first is we are living in an epidemic of rudeness in the American culture. Many believe we now have what's called an epidemic of rudeness. There is rudeness in television. There is rudeness in social media. There is... Rudeness in conversation. Rudeness is not consistent with what is most true of us. The gospel is not about being unnecessarily offensive. The gospel is not about rudeness. The gospel is about a changed life. I need you to bring respect back to our culture. I need you to carry respect into the military. I need you to carry respect into the office. I need you to carry respect into the government. I need you to carry respect into education. I need you to carry respect onto the sports fields. You see, the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. We are to live our lives honorably. And isn't it interesting that the very first part of the law says, honor your father and your mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long upon the earth. That when you bring honor to your mother and your father, when you show appreciation, right, you put high value on them, God makes a promise. He gives us a command, but he makes a promise. The first promise is that it will go well with you. I used to say to my kids, do you want life to go well for you right now? You better honor your mother. (laughs) So, honor your mother, your father, that it may go well with you, that you may live long upon the earth. They've done a number of studies on juvenile delinquency. And you know what they've discovered? That the number one factor in, in avoiding juvenile delinquency is the consistent, fair, and firm discipline of the father. If you want your children to turn out well, I'm speaking to you men now, it's going to be because of a number of factors, but a firm, steady, consistent, fair hand upon their life. Honor your father and your mother. Secondly, our first response to rudeness is to take offense. When somebody is rude to you, let's say they write a rude email, your first response is to take offense at their rudeness. I mean, where is this coming from, right? So we have to be honest about our own humanity when we're dealing with rude people, that we often take offense to their Offensive comments. Number three, if we know the backstory, the rudeness always has a root. A person becomes judgmental because they've been judged. A person becomes critical because they've been become criticized, right? A person becomes condemning because they become condemned. So let's go back into that story. There's one person who's very rude. His name is Judas. Judas is offended that Mary would make such a lavish gift to Jesus. But the Bible tells us that Judas was the money keeper. He was the treasurer. He was pilfering through the purse. Judas didn't really care about the poor. He cared about himself. So the reason why he was rude was he was so selfish. He was so self-centered. You see, he was looking out for himself. He wasn't looking out for anybody else. Number four, the weeds can only be pulled out by the root. Outside of my house, grow these weeds, (laughs) Canadian thistle weeds. You know, we try to grow little herbs, but we grow weeds pretty well. The rain makes the herbs grow, and it makes the Canadian thistle grow also. And this is what I've discovered. The root system of a Canadian thistle can become very complex. You can go down and get that root, but it has roots to other kinds of things underground that you have to also pull out. When you begin looking at rudeness, it has a lot of roots inside of us. Sometimes it's hidden from our eyes, like, why is it that I said that rude thing? And rudeness has no place in the life of a believer. You know, Jesus, in that room, was being honored. Here was a person so deserving of honor. He was a person who had healed Simon the leper. Here was one who had raised Lazarus back from the dead, one who was about to go to the cross. And so to honor him, they gave him the seat of honor. This is Father's Day and Dad Fest. And we offer to our men the seat of honor because what you do is very important. And we know some of the battles you face. We don't know all the battles you fight, but we wanted to honor you on this day simply by you dads. Would you stand up for us? Go ahead and stand because we love you. Would you honor them with me? Would you give them the seat of honor in their house? Thank you, God. You need to be seated i like to like to pray a prayer for our dads, can I? Father, you know the battles we do fight. You're a God who's aware of the world we live in and the families that we do life with. You're aware, Lord, of the work that we do, the work of our hands, the travel on the highways, the conditions within the office, the uncertainties that we deal with, the pressures that we feel. Father, you're aware of everything intergenerationally that has been passed down to us, all those good and broken batons passed to us. You're aware, Father, of the situation we're in, our children, our grandchildren, and we know they need the healthiest example they possibly can have, that we can pass on wholeness to our children. So we ask you, God, in your very presence, to show us what the weeds are, that they can be pulled up, that a beautiful seed that's planted in us can grow to maturity and bear beautiful fruit. This day, we agree with you, Lord, that love is not rude. We confess that love is not rude. And we repent, Lord, of the rudeness that we have shown. And we ask you, Lord, for the grace to live a life that is pleasing in your sight and to honor you, Lord, with our lives and our conduct. And we pray, Lord, for these men, that honor may be conveyed to them this day. Phone calls may come, text messages may come forth, conversations may ensue, dinners may happen, Lord, that we bring great honor to these beautiful men. For we pray together in the name of Jesus. There always will be work that God wants to do in our life in the relationship to Him being our Father and us living out our fatherhood. We have a song now called Come to the Altar. It's an opportunity for you just to be real and honest with God. If you want to come, you can come. You can stay where you are. But this is an opportunity for you just to be honest and real before God. If you want to pray, we'd love to pray with you. Would you stand with us as we sing together, Come to the Altar.